Everything that I have is because of him. Everything that you have is because of him. He set you free. He saved you. He delivered you. He's put your name in heaven. You're not there yet, but someday you're going to be. Come on, glory to God. (laughs) Folks, we have a lot to look forward to. You know, someday if we still remember it, someday we don't measure time in heaven like we do now, but by our standard, 10,000 years from now, we'll look back to this time, and if we can still remember it, if it is even vaguely important to us, we'll go, wow, we thought we had it good then, this is living. I'm looking forward to heaven, but I'm also very glad that in the time that we have, we can be used of him. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. The first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8. One of the most important things that people can say about us, one of the most important things that people can say about you or me, is that we are persons of our word. You think about that that we are persons of our word. If you can be trusted for your word, that if you say it, you'll do it. If you speak something, it's truth. If you say it's going to happen, it will happen. Boy, to be a person of our word is so important. Uh, You could do this later on. Don't do it now, but just Google uh, most important character traits. And invariably, almost every list that comes up will list, and it may be a list of 10 things or 20 things or more, but in almost every list, there will be these three things that are near the top of character traits admired in a person. Number one is integrity. Number two is honesty. And number three is loyalty. All of those have to do in part, or some more than others, but in part with keeping our word, that that integrity and that honesty and that loyalty, that, 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 that if we say it, we will do it. In some ways, our, our word, our word is uh, more important than our intellect. It's more important than our, our personality. It's more important than our physical appearance. You may have do very well in those other areas, but if you can't keep your word. This is why lying is such a deadly sin. It's why it's so devastating because if, if somebody said, and, and, and if, you, if you don't trust them, if you don't trust them at their word, then you wonder, then is anything else or everything else that they say, is, is it true? Jesus was a man of his word. Jesus was a person who was in his character the highest of integrity and honesty and loyalty. And I, and I, I believe you're going to see that more today as we look into this text. Matthew chapter 8, you're turned there. Jesus was in a town called Capernaum. Actually, it's a small city. Capernaum is a small city on the north side, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, a large inland lake in the the land of Israel. 
Capernaum was a significant city of uh, trade to the regions to the north and also uh, transport because of its place on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum was kind of like the, the uh, center of activity for Jesus and the disciples during those three years in which they ministered together. The three years of Jesus' public ministry, much of it happened in or outside of Capernaum. They were often either going to Capernaum or they were leaving Capernaum to go to someplace else. Capernaum was, was, uh, was, was the headquarters, if you will, of Jesus and the disciples. It wasn't in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. It wasn't in Nazareth where he was raised, but it was largely in this place called Capernaum. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 reads this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, he was coming back from someplace. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. I want you to stop there for just a moment in the reading of the text. Again, it's brief. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Let me just describe this. We talked about Capernaum. What's a centurion? A centurion was a Roman military officer, not just an enlisted man, but a, a Roman officer, a military officer. It would be comparable to the rank of captain today. A centurion, a Roman centurion, had 100 people under their command. That's why, that's why they called him a centurion, right? Century means 100 years, a centenarian. It's a person who lives 100 years. A centurion was a person who had about 100 people under their command. It was a place of great responsibility, a place of great authority himself. And, uh, and, and so this Roman centurion is here in Capernaum. Let me also explain that he was not Jewish, he was not Jewish. He was in the Jewish homeland, but he's not Jewish. He's, he's probably from where, what we would call Italy today. But, but in Luke's gospel, it adds this, because this is also recorded, this event is also recorded in Luke's gospel. And Luke says this about this nameless, his name is not given, this centurion. It says that he loved the Jewish nation and he, he loved, even though he wasn't Jewish, he loved the Jewish nation, and he had even, out of his own pocket, at, with his own expenses and resources, he had paid for the construction of a synagogue. A synagogue was like a Jewish church. Can you imagine th this man who is not Jewish, who is a part of the, the, uh, the, the nation that, is, that has conquered this area, uh, this, this man loved the people of, of Judaism so much that he paid out of his own pocket for the construction of a synagogue. And so he's a generous man. He's a, he's a powerful man. He's an influential man. Capernaum was not that large, so he was probably a rather well-known man, but he was, again, very, very generous. But this man who was generous, this man who, who had, had power, who had influence, also had a need. And it says that he had come to Jesus it says, asking for help. In verse 6, he stated his need. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. He, he, he wasn't just stating facts. But his words reveal that this man had compassion. He had compassion. Uh, it, it, the, the words that he uses here are, he is in 
terrible suffering. Did you know that the word compassion, if you break it down, the word compassion actually means a co-sufferer. If you have compassion for someone, you see their hurt, you see their pain, and though you don't feel all of it, you feel a little bit of their pain. That's what compassion means, a co-sufferer. And so this man who has a hundred people under his command, and this slave would have been one of them. They weren't all military personnel. He, he had compassion because he uses the word, he's in terrible suffering. He didn't just say he's paralyzed, but he added, he's in terrible suffering. This was something that he felt. It was something that he, he was moved by. He had compassion. This was very unusual for the time, very unusual for the time. So even though this guy's name is not mentioned, uh, God knows his name. Someday perhaps we'll meet him, but, but I really like this guy. He's generous, he's a man of influence and authority, but he's also a man of great compassion. Again, very unusual for that time. Um, Aristotle, Aristotle was a Greek philosopher who lived a couple of hundred years before this time. Aristotle uh, perhaps more than almost any other Greek philosopher influenced Roman culture. And so everybody in Rome knew about Aristotle. They would study his stuff, and he had this huge imprint upon the, the, uh, the Roman culture of this time. Aristotle said this about servants and slaves. He said, there can be no friendship nor justice toward inanimate things. In other words, just things that, that really don't matter a whole lot. He says, there can be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things. Indeed, not even towards a horse or an ox, nor yet toward a slave. <laughs> Aristotle basically said a servant or a slave is just like any other piece of property and, and, and we, should, we should not have feelings toward it. He went on to add, master and slave have nothing in common. This was the, this was the prevailing sentiment in regards to persons who were servants or slaves at that time. So this man is very unusual when he says, my servant is at home, he's paralyzed, and he is in terrible suffering. That speaks highly of his character. This guy was different. He saw someone who was suffering, and he suffered. You ever hurt for someone? Don't raise your hands, just answer it quietly to yourself. You ever hurt for someone? Someone that you know, particularly, someone that you love, someone that means some, something so much to you, and you see them hurting. It may be, a, it may be the, the loss of health. It may be the loss of an income. It may be the loss of a loved one. It may be the loss of a job. And you see this, and you hurt for them. You ever felt that way? Of course you have. Of course you felt that way. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that many of you, maybe all of you at some point, have even towards someone that you're not close to, you see this suffering or you become aware of somebody's suffering. And though you can't feel exactly what they're feeling, you feel a little bit for them and you go, oh, I feel for that person. Maybe you've even used those words. I feel for them. They're in a really hard place right now. That's, that's, we call that compassion, co-suffering. This man had compassion. 
Now look at verse 7. It says this. Jesus said to him, just a few words, I will go and heal him. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Now it's very easy as you're reading through this text to just go on to the next verse, but I want you to look at this because what Jesus just said, if, if what the man said, if, if this man who is a Roman officer speaks towards a slave, if what he said was significant considering the time, what Jesus just said is also significant within this culture. Seems rather simple, but what Jesus said was very remarkable. Again, the centurion, notice his words, the centurion said that his suffering slave was at home. He said he was at home, paralyzed, and in terrible suffering. And Jesus then said, I will go. You go, well, what's, what's significant about that? Jesus is Jewish. All of his followers are Jewish. All of the people who are listening to this exchange are Jewish. This man, this centurion, is a Roman officer. He's a Gentile. So when the Gentile says, I have a servant at home, and Jesus said, I will go to him and heal him, Jesus in that one simple statement said, I am going to go into a Gentile's home and do this very thing. Again, you're saying, why is that significant? Because Jews didn't go into Gentile homes. If a Jew went into a Gentile home, then they would be considered ceremonially unclean. They were not able to worship as they could until they went through this great ritual of, of, of becoming clean again under the Mosaic, under the Jewish law. Jews did not go into, into Gentile homes, and yet this this Savior, this, this one who also has immeasurable compassion, <laughs> didn't hesitate. <laughs> he didn't deliberate. <laughs> he didn't look around to see if anyone was listening. When the man says, I have someone at home who's in terrible suffering, Jesus said, I will go to him and I will heal him. And, and, and though it doesn't say it, here's what I, I think Jesus was probably like, all right, let's go. <laughs> he starts moving. So Jesus said it, and the centurion heard it. That, that too is important. Jesus said this, what he's going to do, go into this home and heal the man, and the centurion heard it. Now, this story right here in Matthew chapter 8 could end right here. It could just stop right here, and, and it would be a great story. I mean, it, it would just be one of, those, one of those little side little stories that may not factor as large as others uh, in, in the Gospels, uh, but it would go, oh, that would, that's a great story. And you know, you know what the, the message or the lesson would be from this? If, if, if we stopped right here, the message from this small story would, would quite simply be this. Jesus cares for everyone. Even the servants of non-Jewish occupiers of the Jewish homeland. Even for the people that have come to do damage to the people of God, Jesus cares for them. Now wouldn't that be just in itself a good message? That he cares that much. If we read no further, that would... That would be enough. But let me tell you something. The best is still ahead. <laughs> because look at verse 8. It says this. The centurion immediately, 
You understand in the dialogue here, he replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Remember, he, he knows that he, he's a man who loves the Jewish people, Luke says. He's a man who cared enough to build a synagogue even though he's not Jewish. He understands Jewish culture. He understands what Jesus just said, that Jesus is going to come to his house. He knows what this will do to Jesus, that it will make him ceremonially unclean. And so he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my, under my roof. You don't need to do that. And then he adds this. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. In verse 9, the centurion explained himself. For I myself, for I myself, he says, another translation, by the way, says, for I, for I too. He says, for I myself, or I too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Understand, step back from the text for a moment, this is a military man. He's a career soldier. We don't know his age, but he's probably, because he's an officer, he's in charge of 100 people, he's probably been doing this a long time. He is a man who understands authority. He's a man who understands authority and command structures. He was under authority. You see, there are officers above him. And he had authority over others, those who were below him in rank. He knew that persons with authority could issue a command and it would be carried out. It's still this way today in military circles. If a, if a general, right, let's go to the, to the highest rank, a general in the army or an admiral in the navy, if they say, I want this to happen, they don't need to do anything else. They don't, go and, they don't have to be, go and make it happen themselves. They have subordinates who will do that. Uh, they, 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 but all they have to do is say it and it will happen. He understood this. He understood this. He understood that people with authority could issue a command and it would be carried out. So I want you to understand here in verses 8 and 9, by saying this, the centurion acknowledged that Jesus had authority. He acknowledged that Jesus had authority. Jesus had the power, had the rank, had the authority to do something that no one else could do. He knew that Jesus could command even at a distance. We don't know how far away this was, but even at a distance, he knew that Jesus, he declared that Jesus had, he could make the command and healing would come to a suffering servant. So he said this to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will, notice that word, my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. Jesus, I understand authority. You just say the word and some distance away. I don't know exactly how. I don't know exactly why. But I trust you that if you say it here, 
it will be done there. That's pretty powerful. Verse 10 records Jesus' reaction. So you understand this, right? You understand all the, the background? Verse 10 records Jesus' reaction. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. <laughs> Jesus was astonished. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if you underline in your Bibles. If you do, underline that word, would you? Right there, verse 10. Underline the word astonished. Other, some translations may use the word uh, marvel. He marveled or he was amazed. Those words are used as well. Jesus was astonished. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know how, I don't know exactly what happened. Uh, maybe it was the expression on Jesus' face. Wouldn't you love to see, wouldn't you love to see the, the shocked expression on Jesus? Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe it was, maybe it was some physical reaction like Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, <laughs> Did you hear that guy? <laughs> I, 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 don't know what his, I don't know exactly what his response was physically, but it was so meaningful, it was so apparent that years later when Matthew put pen to paper, he wrote that Jesus was astonished. Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed at this man's words. Do you know that in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are only two times in all of the Gospels, in all of the details given about, given about Jesus over that 33-year period of time, there are only two occasions in which G, it says Jesus was amazed or astonished. Only two times. Here, on this occasion, it's recorded in a couple of different Gospels, but on this occasion with this centurion, and also in, you can read it later, Mark chapter 6, where it says that Jesus was amazed or astonished at the lack of faith that the people of Nazareth had, his hometown. Only two times in all of the Gospels that Jesus was astonished. He was astonished when someone had remarkable faith, and he was astonished when someone had no faith. Astonished. That's right. Jesus was astonished. There may have been other times, but there's only two recorded. Just think about that for a moment. How do you astonish Jesus? How do you amaze Jesus? Jesus was and is the Son of God. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, like, it's like coming up to somebody who owns like multiple car museums, who has some of the most beautiful cars in the world, and you come up to him and you say, hey, can I show you my matchbox? Are you going to amaze that person? No. How is that even possible? This is the Son of God. He has seen so much. Jesus was present at creation. He saw all of creation being spoken to and breathed into existence. Jesus has always been. There's no beginning to Jesus. There's no end to Jesus. 
He's infinite. He has unlimited power. He had He had a perspective unlike anyone else has ever had. He had lived in the splendors of heaven. He spoke directly with his heavenly Father. He experienced things that make all of our collective experiences pale in comparison. How are you going to astonish Jesus? How are you going to amaze him? But here it says Jesus was astonished. When someone recognized Jesus' authority and took him at his word. Let me say that again. It's important. Jesus was astonished when someone recognized Jesus' authority and took him at his word. When somebody said, Jesus, if you say it, then it will happen. If you say it, That's enough for me. If you say it, you don't need to do anything more because it's already done. If you say it, it will happen. In verse 10, Jesus went on and he said to his followers, he turned to them, he says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. You know, that must have made them feel really good when Jesus points to a non-Jew and says, hey, this guy's got more than any of the rest of you. But it was true. He said, in all of Israel, I have not found anyone with such great faith. His words, great faith. He said it was great faith when someone took him at his word. Here's the thing. Now let's bring it down to you and me because that's, that's really important that we not just study the text, but that it becomes real to us. I believe Jesus still marvels when people take him at his word. I believe that Jesus still marvels. See, he's aware. He sees you. He's aware of of what we're doing. He's aware of the the things that happen in our lives. He's aware of the, the challenges that we encounter. And when we, in those difficult times, in those most of difficult times, When we say, Lord, I don't understand it, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I will take you at your word, I believe that when we do what this unnamed centurion did, when we do what he did, Jesus is amazed. In the next, don't turn there, but listen to me. In the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus said to someone else, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if that person believed it and said, yes, my sins are forgiven, or they rejected it. But do you believe it? When you ask him and say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I've sinned again. Lord, come come and and forgive my sins again. Do you believe that he can forgive sins? Do you believe that that, that, the the stain, the the horrible things, I mean, will others remember it? Of course. Will will, will others demand a a, a repayment? Of course they will. But, But do you believe that Jesus, when he forgives us, that we're truly and deeply and forever forgiven? Because if he said it, 
We can believe it. Some of you right now are thinking, I don't know if God could ever forgive me. Well, the Bible says that Jesus can forgive anything. Powerful. This power to forgive. Uh, that's just for, I don't know who that's for, but there's someone listening to this message, and, and you're wondering, can God forgive me? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That wasn't just for some person in Matthew chapter 9. It is for you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, that's in the next chapter. In the chapter after that, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, do not fear. He said that to someone else. Do not fear. Was that just for someone in Matthew chapter 10 a long time ago in a faraway place? Or can we believe that Jesus' presence and his power are bigger than anything that we can come up against? That we don't need to live in fear. That God is greater than fear and that because we're in him, we also can claim that promise in Matthew chapter 10 that we do not need to fear. The prophetic word that came this morning is that he is trustworthy. That we don't need to fear. Those, those words were used in the prophetic word this morning that we do not need to fear. Glory to God. It was an affirmation of Matthew chapter 10 and so many other places in Scripture. My friend, if Jesus is in you, if he is the Lord over your life, he's aware of everything in this world, we do not need to fear. We do not need to live in fear. My goodness, we get so wrapped up about so many things. People are afraid to leave their homes. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to this? What's going to happen? And I'll tell you, it's going to get worse. But as followers of Jesus Christ, do we have to be careful? Of course we do. You know, I, I, I don't live in fear, but I still buckle my seatbelt. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't live in fear, but I still have health coverage. <laughs> I, I, mean, I lock my doors. <laughs> Not that there's anything worth stealing, but I lock my doors. I mean, there, there's prudence, I understand that, but I don't want to live in fear. So many Christians, people who trust in Jesus Christ, are bound by fear. I'm not going to do that, this might happen. Well, glory to God, He is the Lord of your life. Don't live in fear. If He said it, take Him at His word. Matthew chapter 11, the next, the next chapter after that, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you believe do you believe that Jesus can restore your weary soul? In chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus said, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. That wasn't just for somebody in Matthew chapter 12. It's for you and I. Do you believe it? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 4, Jesus said that one day all of those who do evil will be cast into the fiery furnace, but the righteous will shine like the sun in his Father's kingdom. Glory to God. That wasn't just for somebody in Matthew 13. That's for somebody here today. Jesus said in Matthew 13, there's a heaven, heaven to gain and there's a hell to avoid. He made it possible to, to gain heaven and avoid hell, escape hell, because of the power of the cross. 
I could go on and on. I mean, I could, we could, I could just keep going. I could go through every chapter of, of every book of this, of, this, of this Bible. And if God said it, and if Jesus said it, that's in the New Testament, but if Jesus said it, we can take him at his word. Let me say that again. If Jesus said it, we can take him at his word. Somebody said, it was a guy a long time ago, still alive, but his name's Josh McDowell. He wrote a book, More Than a Carpenter. Some of you have read it, some of the rest of you need to read it. But he basically said this, Jesus, uh, some, some say that he was a, a madman and he, only a madman could make up those things. Uh, others say that he was a charlatan, that he, he deceived people and he led this mass movement that is based upon deceit. He says, but some people understand because of firsthand experience that he is powerful. And he, he, he synthesized it or he's, he, he condensed it down to this statement. He said, Jesus is, is, can only be one thing. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. Well, I promise you this morning, he's not a lunatic. <laughs> he's not a liar. He is the Lord of our lives. Because if Jesus said it, it will happen. It's for us. It's for us. You know what Jesus also said? He said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be where I am. Glory to God. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I know that it's going to happen. (laughs) Because if Jesus said it, he will do it. It used to be a bumper sticker. I don't like it, but I'll say it up front. I don't like it used to be a bumper sticker. If you got one, you'll want to slip out real soon and just get a razor blade and cut it off. But, but it, said, it said this. He said, it, it, the, the bumper sticker said this. Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. I don't like that. Because, you know, my belief in it really doesn't matter. If Jesus said it, that settles it. If Jesus says it, that settles it. Whether you believe or don't believe, that's one thing. Now, I, I choose to believe. In one sense, that is true. Jesus said it, and I believe it. That settles it. But it was already settled as soon as Jesus said it. Jesus said, I will go to him and heal him. And an unnamed centurion said, no need. You say the word, and it'll be done. There's some things in your life Listen to me. There's some people here. There's some things in your life right now. He's already spoken to you. And he's good to his word. Do we have a part? Absolutely. Our part is obedience. Our part is trusting in him. Our part is saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going I'm to I'm believe in your word. If he settles it, if he said it, then that settles it. When God calls you, or maybe he already has, when God calls you to something that is beyond your experience, something that is beyond your comfort, something that is beyond your perceived abilities, do you take him at his word? The song that we sang earlier, we hold on to every promise you ever made. We hold on to every promise you ever made. Oh, Lord, when you see me, when he sees you, when he sees us encounter those things that are so big, 
those things that are so disappointing, those things that are so hurtful. We talked about the, the one, the, how, how the Lord heals our hurts. We talked about that last week. But when we're wounded, do we, do, we, do we look to the wound? Do we look to other people? Do we look to the world around us? When we see things that are overwhelming, do we see the size of the enemy or do we look to our God and say, Lord, if you said it, I believe it. That you're able and I look to the promises of your word. Here's the thing. Here's where, here's where you put your, put your feet together so that when I step on your toes, I get them all at once. Get ready. Here it is. Some of you don't know the promises that he has given you because you've not read God's word. So you need to get in the word. And when you come up to that place and God says, this is for my people, then boy, that is for you. And he's good to his word. He's good to his word. Some here are facing some pretty big things. I don't know your, all of your story. I don't know half, I don't even, I, I don't know a fraction of your story. Even those that have known for a long time. I don't, I don't know that. I hardly know anything. But man, you're facing something big. And you're facing some big decisions. Take him at his word. Trust him and then get ready because the journey is going to be amazing. Amazing. I'm going to ask the, the, our musicians if they will rejoin me on this platform. And uh, while they're coming, I want to I read to you the, uh, some of the words. Um, this is from the song that we sang, Whom Shall I Fear? Nothing formed against me shall stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind the God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he's a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Whom shall I fear? Oh, there's another one on here. I think this is the one that we're going to sing. This we know. You are who you say you are. Is that the one we're going to sing? This we know. You are who you say you are. Do you need these? These are yours. You got them? I'll bring them back here in just a minute. Get ready. It's going to come to you in just a minute. You ready? Listen to this. You are who you say you are. You're going to sing it. You'll do what you say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us, Jesus. Our hope is in you alone. Our strength is in your mighty name. Our peace in the darkest days remains, Jesus this we know, we will see the enemy run. This we know, we will see the victory come. We hold onto every promise you ever made. Jesus, you are unfailing. Here's how we're going to close. Thank you, Mia. Here's how we're going to close this morning. We're going to close with, in just a moment, you're going to stand and we're going we're gonna to make an altar right where we are. Some of you are facing some big things. Some of you are wondering, am I going to make it? 
Some of you need to look back to a time where God spoke to you and he says, I'm going to bring you through this. Some of you got, the Holy Spirit is already, even in this message, has already pointed some things out at different places throughout the, the word of God. And, and, and he's reminded you, remember what I told you? That this is going to happen. So that's, that we're, that's how we're going to close. And we're going to sing this and we're going to declare it. We're going to sing this through a couple of times and then, and then I'm going to close in prayer. But in these moments, as we're singing it, I'm, I'm just believing that the Lord will, will rise up in you again a, the, the, the reassurance that if he said it, you can trust him. You can take him at his word. He will do it. Right? So that's what's going to happen. I believe. See, see just, just as Jesus did a spiritual thing at some distance, right? A man was healed some miles away. So Jesus can do a spiritual work within us and speak some things into our hearts today. It's a powerful work. It's a spiritual work. Stand with me, would you please? Let's sing this through. And let's sing it. I want you to sing it. I want you to believe it. Let's sing it together. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you do. said things and we didn't follow through on them 
Lord, we have, there have been times when every one of us can look back and we were not a person of our word. But Jesus, this I know, every word you said has or will happen. Jesus, that you are good for, to your word. Jesus, that you are faithful. Jesus, that you have authority. Jesus, if you say it, that's good enough for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you are and you alone are unfailing. So, Jesus, I pray again, even as we've sung these truths, as we've declared these truths, as we've looked into your word, and we've seen that what happened then is still true today, I pray, Jesus, that people would leave this place with hearts full, that people would leave this place uh, uh, encouraged, knowing that if you said it, it will happen. We don't know when. Trusting you in spite, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the pushback, in spite of those who would try to destroy, in spite of all of that, oh God, you are amazing, and it will happen. Thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon us as we go from this place, as we spend even more time with you in other places, here and in other places. God, as we share your word with the, the lost world around us, as we love you, and as we love each other, and as we share Jesus Christ with the lost world, oh God, may we trust in your word. You alone, you alone are faithful. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless and faithful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ.